0: This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, produce online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
2: Welcome to Fitness Disrupted, a production of iHeartRadio. I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted. Today's show... Listener Mailbag, episode number one. So I want to thank you all for leaving comments, rating the show. And we have a bunch now, a bunch of questions along with comments. So I'm going to take today's episode and respond to a bunch of the questions that you have left in the comments. So, again, thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the time. And and that's what this show is for, is answering your questions. As I say so frequently, there are no dumb questions when it comes to – well, there was (laughs) – Uh, I'll get to that at the end, maybe. Uh, There are no dumb questions when it comes to exercise. Uh, (laughs) Okay, maybe one. Uh, But I I joke and you have some really great questions, so we're going to get through, let me see here, about six or seven great questions. One is about diet soda. Another one is about warming up and cooling down. A third question was about target heart rate. So I'll get into that. Pre-workout supplements. Okay. So we'll talk about that. And finishing up with quick workout questions about being sweaty, what clothes do you wear, and then about the seven-minute uh, workout app. So, bunch of different questions. So, a lot to get through. But we're gonna keep this show short. Uh, I, I get your comments about getting to the point. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff, maybe too much, right? So, I'm gonna make it as concise as possible. You people are you tough, but but I listen and I adapt. Okay. So again, Fitness Disrupted. I'm Tom Holland, exercise physiologist, author, and this is all about helping you get in the best shape of your life. And it is disrupting. So there's going to be some stuff you're going you're gonna to argue with and, and complain about because it is tough love to some degree, but know that my goal is just the best for you and myself and my kids and everybody. So I've studied this for years. This is what I do. Uh, I've been doing it a really long time and I I walk the walk. I'm an athlete as well. So uh, that was always when I said, this is what I'm going to do for a living. I said, I am going to separate myself with the education, the experience that never ends. My current goal, uh, I've done the Ironmans and the ultra marathons and all that kind of stuff and much more. Uh, The newest one is going to run across the Grand Canyon and back with a couple crazy friends of mine, and it's about 40 plus miles and supposedly amazing. So the rim to rim to rim run. So just know that not only am I studying this stuff, but I'm I'm doing it too. And as I always say, my most proud thing with my career now when I talk about the races and the events that I've done is that I'm injury free because that's the most important thing. I have a lot of friends who went too hard too soon, too frequently, and they can't say the same thing. So that's also my goal, get you the greatest results in the shortest amount of time with the least likelihood of injury. So that's what it's about. If you're joining us, joining me for the first time, uh, know that and know that I can be a little wordy sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to cut that down. But again, I want this to be entertaining. I don't want to bore you to death. So it's, it's challenging. This is challenging to give you the science, give you the little takeaways as quickly as possible. You know, there's, there's those of you who have complained that I don't give enough science. There's those of you who have complained that too much, too little, all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to balance it. Uh, but in the end, know that what I say works. That's what, you know... You can, you can argue with it. You can, you can say Captain Obvious and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? It works. So don't complain about results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. All right? And, you know, there is a certain amount of trust. Obviously, I talk about trust when I was a coach and things like that. Uh, but let the resume speak for itself. So, uh, you know, you're not flying blindly into this. Know that, you know, I, I, the, the resume is there. So that should be somewhat, you know, comforting to you when you are saying, I don't know if I believe, well, just know that it's years of study and uh, application and clients and stuff like that. So that's the good news. So, but you still got questions and I love them and thank you uh, for throwing them out there. Uh, You know what? Let's take that first quick break. And when I come back, we're going to get right into it. And the first one I'm going to talk about is diet soda, question about diet soda. And this is really kind of interesting stuff. So be right back, jumping right into it with a question about diet soda. Be right back.
1: any
2: disease. And we are back, listener mailbag, episode number one. Really fun show right now. It's all about just answering the questions that you have left in the comments section. And and thank you once again for doing that. So here we go, diet soda. The question is this: I just listened to that episode where you touch on abs are created in the kitchen. Despite my drive to be healthy and athletic, I have one major weakness, diet soda. I just can't quit drinking them. It is truly an addiction. What does a carbonated beverage do to counteract all the other positive changes I integrate into my daily routine? Maybe some advice you have regarding this will help me shake the habit. Let me start by saying I used to, I don't know if addicted is the right term, but I used to love diet soda too. You know, I one's No one's perfect. <laughs> And over the years, I have, you know, cut down, cut out and try to be as healthy as possible. I talk about 80-20, you know, being as healthy as possible, eating really good things, drinking really good things, 80% of the time, 20% enjoying. And as I've said on so many other shows, the healthier you get, the less you crave the unhealthy things, and the more you enjoy smaller portions when you do, you know, cake, things like that. Let me get right into the studies, okay? This is, you know, because we're always going to back it with the science. So there was a study, super recent, February 2019, American Heart Association's journal, Stroke. <laughs> Not great, right? And the uh, study title was Artificially Sweetened Beverages and Stroke, Coronary Heart Disease and All-Cause Mortality in the Women's Health Initiative, okay? Okay a bunch of people april 2017 study in, involved about 5000 adults 45 and older essentially and they were asked to answer questions about their eating and drinking habits and then for the next 10 years they were uh, they kept tabs on them And specifically recording which of them suffered a stroke or developed dementia. Here's the takeaway. In the end, researchers learned that those who drank at least one artificially sweetened drink per day were nearly three times more likely to have a stroke or develop dementia compared to those who drank less than one a week. Okay. And the findings held up even after they adjusted for other factors such as age and gender, calorie intake, things like that. All right. The data collected, though, did not distinguish, this is important, between between the types of artificial sweeteners used in their drinks. Now, this is a common debate. Artificial sweeteners, are they good for you? Are they bad for you? And many people will cite the studies and say they are highly researched. Here's the takeaway. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Uh, Well, yes, cut to the chase really quickly. If there's some question about it, whether it's an exercise, if there's an exercise where I learned that, you know, the risk is pretty high that you might get injured. There are too many other options. I'm not going to do that exercise. I go, "Wait a minute. Why am I going to potentially risk getting hurt?" Okay. So, that's this is what I read years ago as well when I was drinking the diet sodas and I go, "You know what? Probably. Yes, they're highly researched and and but, but I'm not going to take that chance." So, the goal is to get you off them ideally. Ideally, right? And drink water and other healthier beverages instead. And I get it. They are highly addictive. And here's why. Okay? Do you realize this? Is, and, uh, sugar-free sodas contain substances that sweeten up to from 200 to 600 times more. They're sweeter, 200 to 600 times sweeter than sugar. Okay. So, one other study, 2015 study published in the Journal of uh, the American Geriatric Society, found that people who drank diet soda gained almost triple the abdominal fat over nine years as those who didn't drink diet soda. Okay. They analyzed data from almost 800 people, 65 and older. Um, Again, self reports, which is always kind of questionable. But here's the thing, and this is so interesting. what these artificial sweeteners are doing, in my opinion, and, and what a lot of the researchers believe as well, it's screwing up the receptors in our brains. Our brains, so they trigger sweetness receptors in the brain, which causes our bodies to prepare itself for, for calories, right? And they don't get the calories, but the body still craves them. And so that may ultimately cause you to eat more. And gain weight because you're not gaining weight because of the calories in the soda. There aren't any. So in other words, it's making you sweeter. It's screwing up our natural evolution. And I love studying this stuff. The Dr. Daniel Lieberman type uh, guys out there who are doing the research into this. Just so interesting. So it's screwing up our taste buds and it's screwing up. So it's ultimately, because it is about calories in, calories out, it's making you hungrier. And not everybody. It didn't make me hungrier, I don't think. I didn't gain weight when I uh, drank diet soda or lose weight when I stopped, but we're all different. So for some people, it's just, it's, it's, it's wreaking havoc on our natural, what we've evolved when we, you know, ate honey and things like that, that were natural and, and sweet and had a certain amount of calories. And then when you go to eat something that's higher calorie, but maybe not as sweet, that's the insidious nature. Of processed foods and sweetened foods and why ultimately try to eat things that don't come in a bag for the most part, you know, fruits, vegetables, lean sources of protein, natural foods in their most natural state, because that's what our bodies have grown accustomed to over many, many years. And so there you go. So with the diet soda... There could be some health implications. Studies are showing that. That's not good. And then when it comes to weight loss and satiety and kind of screwing up your taste buds with the sweeteners and stuff like that, not good. So when I went off it, I switched to um, carbonated water, you know, bubbly water. Because I wanted that kind of carbonation fix. So that was – we never quit things – Outright people, you know, the the cold turkey thing for the most part doesn't work for the vast majority of people. So you substitute something and it's small, small steps. So I went from diet soda personally, this is my personal, you know, uh, experience to club soda type beverages and then just to water. So I weaned myself off and it's hard. It's challenging. So there you go. So because of the sweetness, because of the potential, uh, potential, again, it's a tricky subject because the, it's researched and they say it's it's healthy, it's safe rather, I'm going to switch to something else. Why not? Right? So there you go. Hopefully you can kick it too. It's not helping us, right? Um get your caffeine from great sources like green tea and coffee. Listen to my show on supplements, uh, the four, my four favorite supplements, and I'll actually get to that as well because it ties into another question here. So thank you for that question. All right, diet soda Uh yeah, uh, try to try to cut it out. It'll take some time. Give yourself time, but ideally to be as healthy as possible. Probably don't want to drink those. That's my personal take. All right. Question number two, warm up, cool down. Can you do a podcast on what your warm up and cool down for cardio exercises? And in parentheses, this person said running. So I assume the warm up, cool down for running. Really interesting, simple kind of concept. If you are going out low-level running, like if you're a half marathoner, marathoner, you're generally not going to pull a muscle just going out and running. It's low-level. So static stretching before exercise has been kind of uh, put to the side. We don't need to do a lot, if any, of the traditional old-school touch-your-toes, hold that, reach, hold, the static stretching, holding stretches for a certain amount of time. The research shows you do that after exercise. And yes, there's conflicting research, but the majority, the, the, the strong stuff for our purposes, uh, evidence is muscles get tight. Muscles get tight. So tightness leads to dysfunction. Dysfunction leads to problems, right? So uh, before exercise, the warm-up cool down. Unless you are doing speed work. Now, that changes everything. If you are someone who's really pushing it, you know, you're, you're racing, you're doing 5K races, the faster you go, the more the warm-up is, is important because you're asking your body to fire the muscles quickly, and that's where muscles get pulled. That's why sprinters generally, you know, you'll see someone take off on a 100-yard dash, Olympics, and then all of a sudden grab their hamstrings. So that's much more. You're not going to generally see someone running a marathon. F- front guys are different. Um, but – and and grab the hamstring in the same way. The warm-up for low-intensity running is just that, running. That's pretty much your warm-up. But here's the other thing you can do, two other things actually. So foam roller. When it first came out, that was generally used after exercise, but you can spend a couple minutes just foam rolling your quads, your hamstrings, and your calves, and, and your hips, your IT band. So that's a great potential warm-up. Spend a couple minutes, not a lot – You know, 30 to 60 seconds on your hamstrings, 30 seconds, 60 seconds on your IT band. That's the side of your legs, your calves, those four main areas. You can also use something called the stick. There's many different versions. So the foam roller, you use your body weight to uh, self-massage essentially Or you can hold a stick type uh, device in your hand and roll it on your muscles. Great way to kind of loosen up the muscles, the fascia, get the blood flow going, and then low level activity, aerobic activity. All right. And then the final thing are running drills. So I've done a camp on, held a camp on Nantucket for over 20 years now, and we have not had one major issue because we start every, and you're running in the sand. So that is really kind of challenging to the body but we spend the first 10 to 15 minutes doing running drills in the sand. And it serves so many purposes. We're burning calories. You're warming up. You're actually working on balance and coordination. So running drills, if you don't know what they are, they are things like skipping, (laughs) right? High knees, uh, butt kicks, side shuffle, running backwards even, and karaoke. 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 Not the singing kind. The... Right foot in front of the left, left foot in front of the right, right? Running sideways and alternating. Those are great drills. And again, more to be done when you are running at higher intensities. And that actually, if you're playing sports, soccer, tennis, so important, especially as we get older. You know, if you're doing basketball, tennis, paddle, these sports that, that not only require sudden starts and stops, but a lot of lateral movements, doing what I just described, the running drills, because that is also serving two purposes. It's getting the blood flow, which is so important. That's what's taken the, the place of the static stretching. You warm up your muscles by getting the blood flow to those muscles, low level, full body aerobic activity prior to what you're going to do. That will help prevent injury. Warming your body up, not asking it to go from zero to 60, okay? So the running drills. And then finally at the end, this is very interesting. You want to actually, and again, the the more intense your workout, the more you want that cool down because that actually helps your body flush the waste products, the lactic acid out of your body. Now I'm going to do a... There is so much misinformation about lactic acid. So when you'll see massage therapists and people say, get the massage a day after your event, let's say like a marathon to get the lactic acid out of your system, well, it's gone. It's gone in a couple hours, if that. But if you are doing speed work at the track, if you're doing interval training on a treadmill, things like that, you don't want to go from 60 to zero. You actually want to spend three to five more minutes, generally speaking, lower level activity. Okay, so have that warm-up, three to five minutes, super easy. Then if you're doing your intervals, you do your intervals, and then three to five minutes, generally speaking, again, cool down. Get that blood flow, let the heart rate come down slower, more slowly, and flush the waste products out of your body. But for the vast majority of people who are just walking or jogging at a slow pace, low intensity, that in and of itself is, for the most part, the warm-up and the cool-down, all right? So foam roller and the stick, you can do that before and after, great idea. Loosen up the muscles both, both times. Running drills, awesome. And for you who have kids who are playing tennis, hockey, any sport like that, those running drills are for everybody, for everyone. I have my kids do them. And then finally, that easy cool-down is especially important the harder your workout is. And there you go. Thank you. That's a great question. Warm up, cool down. Warm the body up through full body aerobic activity. Cool it down the same way. And use those self-massage techniques uh, before and after. And static stretching again at the end. Your muscles are tight. Spend a couple minutes doing those quick stretches. Like everything else I talk about, by the way, it's not a lot. It's a couple minutes done consistently. And the people I coached over the years who had the most success did these things consistently. A little bit of foam rolling, a little bit of the running drills when they needed to, and a little bit of the static stretching at the end, but consistently. All right. You know what? Let's take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about heart rate. This is another great topic with so much bad information. You're going to be shocked that 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 220 minus your age what i'm going to tell you about that all right one more quick break we'll be right back
1: any disease.
2: And we are back talking about listener questions, listener mailbag. First episode, I will do many of these, so keep commenting, keep rating the show, please. And by the way, do hashtag Fitness Disrupted on any of your social media, and we'll find it that way as well. So comment, but if you're posting different places, use the hashtag Fitness Disrupted, and we'll really start to connect and it's all about helping you achieve your goals. And know that, know that. That's what this is about, all right? Based on the science. So, speaking of science, all right, this is like crazy. <laughs> Uh, target heart rate. There are many formulas. And back when I was getting all the certifications and getting my master's degree, but those certifications, we all learned these different formulas. We had to memorize them. And then I started coaching people and working with clients, thousands of clients over the years through personal training one-on-one, through my camps, through lectures and all these different things, clinics. What I found was is really inaccurate, like ridiculously inaccurate for the vast majority of people I worked with. So let me give you a study, Uh, Journal of Exercise Physiology, May 2002, and the title is The Surprising History of the Heart Rate Max 220 Minus Your Age Equation. Now, I'm going to read this verbatim because it's so important, all right? And it goes to, again, we have the studies, and then we have the anecdotal from, so there's stuff we learn in, in the laboratory, and there's stuff we learn in the field. And far too often, there's no blending of the two, and you can't just have one. Because it's very hard to replicate so much of exercise and especially diet in a laboratory. And we can't just take what happens, you know, uh, N equals 1. And that's a problem so often is someone will say, well, here's what worked for me. So it has to work for you. Well, no. Okay. So Journal of Exercise Physiology. This is their take. They looked at the heart rate formula, 220 minus your age, that is used Across the board, pretty much, okay? The estimation of maximal heart rate has been a feature of exercise physiology and related applied sciences since the late 1930s. The estimation of heart rate max has been largely based on the formula heart rate max equals 220 minus your age. This equation is often presented in textbooks without explanation or citation to original research. In addition, the formula and related concepts are included in most certification exams, every single one I took over the years, within sports medicine, exercise physiology, and fitness. Despite the acceptance of this formula, here we go, people, research spanning more than two decades reveals the large error inherent in the estimation of Heart Rate max. Ironically, inquiry into the history of this formula reveals that it was not developed from original research but resulted from observation based on data from approximately 11 references consisting of published, researched, or unpublished scientific compilations. Okay? Consequently, the formula Hari max equals 220 minus the H has no scientific merit for use in exercise physiology and related fields. All right. A brief review of the uh, of alternate heart rate max prediction formulas revealed that the majority of age based univariate prediction equations also have a large prediction error or have large prediction errors. Yes. Um, Clearly, more research needs to be done. Okay. So you go. Great. Now what? Now, this is a great example of since it is so individualized. I mean, I had guys, uh, not many, but there were enough that would hit. They would be 30, 40-year-old people, and they're hitting heart rates above 200, and, and they're not killing themselves. And vice versa. So that 220 minus your age, and even the other ones, I was going to give you the other ones, but you know what? They're still, they're a little better, but they're not the best. The best way. So you go, okay, enough. How do we do it? You, you, you test yourself. Now, if you are that into it, and you're a high-level athlete, or you're someone who has the time and the means and the desire, you go to a laboratory. And you get tested on a treadmill and a bike if you want, if you're a triathlete, but you get your zones. And it's generally like $150 depending on where you go. But if you want to know specifically, that's how you do it. You go, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend the money. You can do it yourself. All right. We're talking about—oh, let me read the question, by the way. (laughs) So we're talking about target heart rate. Here's the question. Didn't know how else to reach you. This is the way to do it. This was in the comment section. Could you please discuss max heart rate for running? I'm 47 and still new at running. I recently hit 162 while running, and it freaked me out knowing that my max should be 173. I felt a little pain in the chest but recovered fine. Is this dangerous? Have to say, first of all, you felt pain in the chest. That scares me, but that could just be, and often is. It's just hard, right? You have to get a physical. You have to get clearance from your doctor to exercise. Can't say that enough. When that is done, though, and you have been cleared and you don't have any heart issues, the body's a really smart machine. So this is why so often people would say to me, oh my gosh, Tom, I hit X heart rate and they were either freaked out or thought they were real fit and what it, it didn't matter because it's the formula. I go, I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. So you need to really, this is an, where you are an experiment of one. And so if you're truly into the heart rate, then you, you want to test it over time yourself. So where a heart rate monitor is my point, generally the chest strap. Let me say this too, by the way, they are now coming out with a watch. I have one on right now where it does wrist based heart rate. I found it to be really, really inaccurate, especially the harder I work. Now that's an experiment of one, but I've found this with some other people as well. So if you're into heart rate like this guy, okay, and you want to start learning your zones, you wear the chest strap and a watch. And the thing is they are super inexpensive now if you just get that. And so let me give, so the gold standard for finding your maximum heart rate is still a stress test in a laboratory, all right? But you can do it on your own with your own heart rate monitor. Now, if you're a runner, now I know many of you are not, but this guy is, so let me give you it. You go to a track and you run a mile or two, you warm up, get the body warmed up, right? And then you maybe do one more mile, a little harder, comfortably hard pace, okay? And then you want to do one or two laps going as hard as you can with your final lap, As hard as you can, that highest number you hit is going to be close to your maximum heart rate, your maximum heart rate. So in other words, you want to push yourself super hard and do it. (laughs) I know it it doesn't feel great, but if you're into the numbers, do that once or twice, maybe three times over, uh, you know, a couple months. But the more you wear that heart rate monitor, if you're taking group cycling class, if you're cycling at home, wear that heart rate monitor And start to look at your data. And here's the crazy great thing. Now these apps that stores everything. So you can look back. I went for a run yesterday. By the way, way off. If I use the 220, I was hitting. So I am 50 years old. 220 minus the age says 170, right? Would be my max. Guess what? I wasn't running that fast. And I was way up in the 160s for most of the time. Now I'm heavier, uh, which is making my heart rate higher. And here's one final way. If you're like, okay, I don't want to go to the track. I don't want to do that. My way of doing it to start to dial in, it's not 100% accurate, but it's going to be much closer than if you use some of these formulas. It's hills. And I've talked about hill workouts, how much I love them for everybody, walkers, regardless of your, you know, walking, running, goals, whatever. Hills, just phenomenal, inexpensive way to, to burn calories, strengthen your body, do everything we want to do. So if you're like, I want to know my max heart rate or get close to it, do a mile, you know, go for a jog, fast walk, whatever for 10, 15, 20 minutes, end up at a hill, run up and down that hill, generally 30 seconds or so steep hill, do a couple. And then that final, you know, if you do maybe three or four half speed and then do one or two more, run up that hill as hard as you can. You're going to find pretty close to your max heart rate. So you're going to do this in the field, quote unquote, and you're going to get your max heart rate. You can do it on a bike too. Know that this is interesting, getting a little deeper into the science, but generally speaking, most people's heart rate on the bike is going to be a little bit lower than running because they're supported. Now here's the kicker. Not always. I had clients that I used to coach for triathlon where their max heart rate on the bike and the run were the same, but science says that it should for many people, be maybe a little bit lower. But there you go. If you're not a runner, you're a cyclist, as so many people are at home, wear that heart rate monitor. What number are you hitting during those really hard intervals? Short, all-out intervals. That's going to be close to your max heart rate. So there you go. You're going to get it on your own. You know, 220 minus your age, even the other formulas, not super accurate. You know, you can start using resting heart rate. There's a formula for that. was going to give you it in the weeds, uh, you know, a little too much. Uh, but my my resting heart rate is, is 40 because I've been doing endurance racing for years. Uh, that is going to change things as well. So that is why. Doing it on your own, wearing a heart rate monitor if you're into it. Um, and again, don't worry about if you've been cleared for exercise, um, your body will slow down when it needs to. There you go. All right. Great questions. Here we go. Here we go. Let me see where we are. Okay. Uh, Pre-workout question. Um, You should add an episode or segment on how pre-workout either positively or negatively affects your workout or if there are even benefits. So pre-workout, there are so many supplements on the market now. Pre-workout supplements, for those of you who don't know, generally a powder, a drink, something like that that you are going to take before a workout that's supposedly going to improve your workout. And there's, there's the term, right? What does that mean by improve? Um, these pre-workout supplements, they often contain like a hodgepodge of ingredients ranging from like caffeine to guarana to creatine. You know, they're going to try to increase blood flow, increase your heart rate, you know, things like that, blood flow to the skin. Here's the overarching kind of uh, advice. It goes back to diet soda. And you know what? Let me, let me go back way back. I used to be a trainer at Crunch Gym back in the mid to late 90s. And there was a woman who died who took a supplement that had ephedra in it. Trainer took her, a well-known, publicized court case, and she, she was trying to lose weight, ephedra. Uh, some of you may remember it. Some of you may not. It's been banned, okay? It's been banned since, you know, 2004. The FDA banned it, ephedra and products containing ephedrine. And that's scary. And it was sold in different forms, you know, pills and drinks and everything like that. So, uh, the and I listen to my ep- podcast episode on supplements, very loosely regulated. They really don't look into a product till it causes problems like ephedra. So my quick uh, nitrous oxide, let me get into that. So that's a, a real common one in the pre-workout sub- supplements now. It wasn't back when I was, you know, really doing what I was doing in the 90s and early 2000s, but it is now. Okay, so nitrous oxide. Here's a study, real quickly, the effect of nitric oxide-related uh, supplements on human performance sports uh, medicine 2012 in February. All right. So it's been said with exercise that an increase in nitrous oxide may enhance oxygen and uh, nutrient delivery to the muscles, thus improving your tolerance to exercise and recovery. That's good stuff, right? And the the studies showed this one uh, moderately trained healthy subjects that nitrous, uh, nitric, I keep saying nitrous, nitric oxide could improve tolerance to aerobic and anaerobic exercise. For highly trained people, didn't really work. Okay, here's my takeaway on all this. I don't want to get, again, too deep into it. Take caffeine, in my opinion. It is the best pre-workout. And maybe creatine, both two supplements that I did on the prior episode, if you want to listen, my four favorite supplements. Both have been researched heavily beyond. Both do improve performance. Uh, I would do the the caffeine, the coffee, before the creatine. Creatine is going to help you build muscle. Again, listen to that show for more information and help with some um, – Energy, some some speed, power type things. It is, a, it is an energy system of the body. Uh, it's related to that. So the greatest pre-workout supplement, in my opinion, and heavily researched and shows to work is caffeine. And listen to that episode uh, to find out much more about why. Many different reasons, all right? Thank you, great questions. But I, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to take stuff that I don't know what's in it. And supplements are—it's—it's a, it's a scary industry. It's a scary industry. Okay, so let's let's be safe. Let's not have an ephedra type moment. Um, and they're constantly coming out with new things. So, a because they're not heavily researched. B they can just put them out and then deal with them when they cause a problem. That's a problem in my opinion. All right. So I'm going to drink my water and have some coffee and maybe some creatine if I'm trying to put on muscle. Um, and that's pretty much it. All right. Great questions. Uh, where we did pre workout. Final couple questions. Here we go. This is love the show. Quick questions for you. I love the recent episode about short workouts throughout the week. Very encouraging to hear that even 10 minute bursts can be effective. Quick question. My concern with these kind of things isn't the time. I mean, who can't grab 10 minutes to do some push ups or a quick interval, but more the integration with the rest of the day. So the question is will they make me sweaty? And he, he asks, uh, I believe it's a, uh, actually not sure, they should be if they're working, right? No. So A, if you're doing strength moves like push-ups, it depends. Some people sweat much more quickly than other people. I sweat ridiculously fast. That doesn't mean you have to sweat for the exercise to be working, but ideally I get it. So the general rule of thumb with these type of workouts is that you are going to do them throughout the day, that you don't want to get too sweaty, and so hopefully, you know, you don't have to change your clothing. And that was another question this person had asked. Do I need to change for them or do in my often formal work clothes? Ideally, that's it. You know, I had the CEOs that I used to train, and there was a woman who used to do wall sits in her elevator. She would do walking lunges down the hallway. That's the kind of thing we're talking about with these shorter workouts done throughout the day. Uh, Generally, you're not going to go super high intensity unless you are at home, you know, and you can sweat. So you're going to pick your place, pick your time and place. So strength moves generally, crunches, planks, push-ups, even squats and lunges type thing, when you do them for a relatively short amount of time, which is the whole point of the shorter workouts, generally you're not going to work up a sweat for the most part. But then if you're doing, you know, you're at home, you're like, you know, I want to burn some major calories I get 10 minutes. You can do burpees and some plyometric type stuff, running in place, jumping jacks, jump rope, and you can work up a sweat, but that's up to you. So pick your workout. And the intensity and the exercise is based on whether or not you want to sweat. But you don't have to sweat for it to be effective, especially when it comes to strength moves. All right. And the final question, here we go. Same person, I just started using an app that claims it is backed by science and that doing seven-minute intervals uh, multiple times per week yields similar benefits to much longer workouts. Can you comment on the veracity of this claim? All right. Hugely popular. New York Times know exactly what he or she is talking about. And now there are many. There's not just one seven-minute workout because it got so popular. Okay. Now, here's the thing. If it's going to, so they say it could be, you know, the same uh, effects results as really long runs workouts. The shorter the workout is, for it to have the similar benefits as a much longer workout means you got to go super hard. And that's the main takeaway that you need to know. The shorter the workout is, To confer the same benefits as going super long. Now, I'm not saying there's not benefits, but I'm saying similar, okay? You need to work hard, generally about 85% or more exertion with short rests. But that doesn't mean that doing a seven-minute workout that are planks and push-ups, you're going to build strength. So we don't need to compare, We don't need to say, gosh, I got to do, I got to go all out all the time. First of all, you're going to get burnt out and injured. We've talked about that on different shows, but it's worth it. Every workout matters. So don't worry too much about, is it just as good as the other workouts? If you are doing seven minutes frequently, then that's great. And, And again, I don't want you doing high intensity interval training only. I want some slower, longer uh, lower intensity workouts. I want cardiovascular exercise. I want strength training, all of that, mixed up, okay? And again, this seven minute workout, the main one, they're talking about, the research or the people who put it out, there were 12 exercises, and it is circuit training, high intensity circuit training. Big muscle groups, great exercises, the basics. It's basically the basics done quickly, with little rest. And this is the thing, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit because my original fitness video was just this. So the secret sauce to this workout is basically to work different major muscle groups, upper body, lower body, and core, every time you do the workout and alternating. Now, this just made sense to me. Perfect way to finish the show. So I had studied, I'd worked in the field for a really long time. And I'm like, okay, my wife basically designing a workout for my wife. First fitness video ever, scariest thing, invested heavily money. And it was the basics. And that was scary too. There was no flash and I shot it in real time because I wanted people to see me sweat and stumble, reality fitness. But this was exactly the format. We would do squats and then we would do push-ups and then we would do crunches. And I threw in a fourth. Uh, cardio interval 30 seconds of jumping jacks 30 seconds of crunches 30 seconds of push-ups done to time and reps depending because that very reason when we're working the lower body the upper body gets to rest when we're doing crunches the upper and lower body get to rest and alternating that done quickly circuit training it's so nice years later to see the studies come out and these apps and they go oh wait this is doing it back in the, the early 2000s so nitric oxide, like not nitrous. <laughs> That's the stuff you put in your car. All right. Uh, what a great show. Thank you so much. And it's a great show because of your questions, because you took the time to to ask them. Thank you. Uh, so diet soda, let's try to get off it. It's going to make you hungrier. Potentially, it's going to screw up the taste buds with the, the sweeteners. Uh, and there may be some negative health effects as well. Warm up, cool down, you know, Foam roller, quick stretches at the end, and the harder your cardio is going to be, the more you want that warm-up. It's important. All right? Pre-workout, personally, I stay away from supplements. I don't know what they are, uh, and, and caffeine is uh, and coffee is what I'm going to take. Uh, tea as well, green tea, great, great forms, and you're getting so many other things along with that caffeine, awesome. Back to the blue zones, people who live to be over 100 generally drink, green tea and things like that. Okay. Caffeine in moderation is a great thing. Uh, and there you go. Uh, thank you so much. Keep asking, keep uh, posting these questions. I will continue to do these shows. Uh, please rate the show if you haven't. Hashtag fitness disrupted. We'll keep this going I will see that. I will answer the questions. Thank you for listening. Again, I know <laughs> that I talk, I, I can't just jump right to it. So I'm working on making them more concise for you, but come on, work with me here. Uh, You got to have some uh, buildup and, and you know, whatever. (laughs) And by the way, the one, when I said there was no dumb questions, let me finish with this one. The person who said, if you're going to do a show on four supplements, tell them um, I did. You didn't listen. (laughs) You were just angry. Uh, Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Holland. This is fitness disrupted. Uh, So many more shows in the, in the works. Uh, can't wait to get all those out to you. Please, please rate the show. Please tell your friends, share, and just know that everything I do, all the advice I'm going to give you is based on the science. It's based on my experience. And its ultimate goal is to help you achieve yours. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Holland. This is Fitness Disrupted. Believe in yourself. Fitness Disrupted is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
4: Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. That pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring
0: June 30th, 2024.